Welcome everybody to the Esports Power Hour. This week we talk about North America's failures at MSI, more on Overwatch franchising, the upcoming Injustice 2's championship series, and the role that toxicity plays in the professional scene. Hey guys, and welcome back for episode three of the Esports Power Hour. I'm your host, Crown Tempest. I'll throw things off to the rest of my cast to introduce themselves as well. Hey everybody, it's Sovereign here, back for week three. CEO of Vengeance Esports. To kick off format and introduce himself, I'm tossing it back over to Metam. Hey guys, I'm just Metam. Thanks for tuning in. So uh, once again, I'm going to go ahead and remind everyone from the last episode and go over our format to our new listeners. Each caster has four minutes to talk about each topic before swapping it over to the next person. We all have the ability to take it over from someone else once per topic. From there, we can choose to either build on that point or request for a certain someone to shut up for a moment or two so we can go on our own tangent. With three takes of the same news and three chances to commandeer the timer, our cast is going to provide as much info on the topic and the time provided. Now on to the fun stuff. Back to you, Crown. All right. So jumping straight into things, we're actually just at the end of the group stage for the League of Legends Midseason Invitational. Once again, we see North America struggling on the world stage to actually stay competitive. We saw them drop some key matches against uh, teams like G2 in Europe uh, and teams like the Gigabyte Marines who are the wildcard region coming in. Now, this isn't the first time, of course, that we're seeing them struggle on a world stage, and North America in general tends to have issues competing across all these different regions. Now, my question to you guys actually comes in at, is this a worrying trend to see that North America keeps struggling at these world events? And what might be the reason for this consistent um, um, problems that are showing through every time they go to these events? All right, so my take on it is I do see it as really worrying because it seems like TSM always does okay against other teams in NA, but the moment that they go into the international areas and tournaments, they're really struggling with the drafts or... I It's hard to really say what they're actually struggling on. It might just be the individual play that they're really lacking. I think that another side of thing is, is they're not playing with their main ADC and I'm not trying to pin it all on Wild Turtle but it could be causing some of the general calls they would make to actually be changed a little bit and some of the champions they might be pulling out just aren't being played so that it fits more on Wild Turtle side of things. What are your opinions of? Uh, I think what it comes down to is it's not even necessarily just like TSM traditionally with the exception of like last year's msi where clg went on like a cinderella story run and like a few times where in worlds tsm or uh, cloud nine have managed to make it out of or even just directly seated past the group stage um we we've seen teams just flop pretty much right out the gate and what it kind of comes down to from my point of view 
is it's a mixture of drafting, but also the fact that you can you can analyze different teams from different regions and find out like kind of what their play style is. But because you don't practice against that specific style, I don't think teams are ready for that kind of like level of competition. You could have, for example, um, a team like WE who, you know, China just plays out their own style. But if you aren't, if you aren't continuously able to get exposure to that, you can watch all the VODs you want. But if you aren't able to like learn and play against it, I don't think it's accurate to expect to just be able to defeat it based on drafting. I don't know how you might feel about that crown, but uh, fair enough. I don't think drafting is necessarily the major issue with North American teams. Yeah, it can have a little bit of an effect, but especially in the in the meta right now, you can play a lot of picks and get away with it, even if it's not necessarily currently meta. The, the issue I find is North America seems to struggle to play at a faster pace. So when you're matching them up against teams that play at the faster pace, such as, for instance, a team like Gigabyte Marines they get kind of drawn into it and they can't really make the plays that they're wanting to make. Now, the secondary issue is when they get to late game fights, they either one don't draft around the late game fights and want to win early, but don't have the the skills to really win the games early on Two, uh, if, if they're playing teams like SKT, who's the best team pretty much in the world, teams like Flash Wolves who have really, really solid team fighting later on into the game, they, they seem to fall flat a little bit. So if they don't get those early leads, they, they end up losing the game, but they're not actually setting themselves up to get the early leads that they need in order to actually close out the games before it gets to that team fighting point or before they don't have a big enough lead at that point. That makes any sense. <laughs> So we've kind of talked about strong teams and being able to match that caliber. So Madam, the question I'm going to throw to you, we've seen NA teams struggle against wildcard teams two different occasions now, both with TSM and Gigabyte Marines, and the 2016 World Championships where CLG had some interesting struggles against Albus Nox Luna. Is it a level of, or is it a, a situation where NA can't rise to the occasion, or is it a matter of just lack of international exposure? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to NA really hasn't developed any new strategies. It's always been the exact same playstyle. They're always focused around one player, and if that one player falls behind even a little bit, nobody's there to have his back and take over from there. Like, uh, if we look at TSM, Bjergsen, if he doesn't get snowballing, or Hanser doesn't get snowballing. The whole team takes a huge hit, and right now we can't really focus on Wild Turtle to actually pick up the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, slack. <laughs> yeah, the slack. I guess that's probably the best word. And you can't really blame him for that either, because he hasn't been playing with TSM. I mean, he's been playing with them for a little while now, but he isn't... I can't think of the words. Uh, he's not double lift. I guess that's probably the easiest way to get it. Yeah. And Either I, way, I'm going to actually jump in and cut you off here real quick. I don't think North America is necessarily about playing around specific star players. I think it's the fact that North America is actually 
forced to do that because they're typically with their teams, you're actually having a few players that aren't quite as high quality. Like for instance, TSM having wild turtle. And in my opinion, Sven Skarin, who are the weaker links of the team. And if you put them on a world stage, they tend to struggle almost every North American team has these players that aren't able to play at the world level when it comes right, to competitive. Right. Like, Go ahead and catch you off here. <laughs> so you're saying that these players are the weak cards, and I think the majority of people would agree, but does that come back to Saluku and they really just don't have the correct environment to really practice, and some of these players that aren't actually amazing players are just coming off to look really good because they're destroying all these players in solo queue. I think solo queue is a very hard thing to gauge the skill of players. Like for instance, you can have a player that's absolutely godlike in solo queue, but you put them on a team and they just kind of flounder and don't really understand how to play at the competitive level. Whereas vice versa, you can have a player that's, mid rank in the challenger in the challenger uh, ranking and they come into a team environment and they absolutely thrive so it's a matter of, of teams not really having the ability to get the talent that's needed and players that are playing in challenger typically yes they're very very skilled but they're not actually taking steps to improve their overall team play and, and find out what exactly they need to do to improve their their ability to play on a team I am going to continue on with that train of thought <laughs> to say that uh, I think the biggest problem is North America, especially, likes to rely on imports to kind of pick up the slack from everybody else. It's imports everywhere, big name signings. You know, um, when JBM originally came over for energy when they were still in lcs that was this massive sign you know you had impact uh, massive signing i think something that definitely needs to occur and we kind of saw it last year with scouting grounds is we need a way to develop homegrown talent domestic talent because we've seen like korea does this amazing job at developing talent i mean obviously korea's at the top but so far and few in between here in North America do we have these star players who are resident players who are born and raised here that can kind of compete with that. Like we have a few rare exceptions. You know, you have Ponser, you have Dardock, Aphromoo, Doublelift. But we need to be able to f facilitate that growth and actually get to a point where no we're not constantly relying on imports. Yeah, just okay, so, uh, take uh, over from there. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to bring up the Piglet situation because that's a perfect example of what you're saying there. He was brought over and going from being a world championship winner to really not doing what the team had expected from him. And I think that's a perfect example of what you're saying with the imports being too relied on and we're like you said we're not developing any new talent and i wonder how much of that actually comes down to the coaches that just aren't able to do what's required to actually grow their players into a nice stable running team it, it kind of throws me off a little bit especially when you know 
most teams aren't even looking at domestic players. It's all it's all imports. What is the star for this role that we can import? Why are we not taking the time to develop these new players, get them up to speed? You're not expecting to win a championship that year if you're doing that, but if you bring in an import, I mean, you still have to tackle language barrier, you still have to tackle team cohesion. Like, give it some time. Let these players develop into the players that you want for your team. Let them develop the style. There is, however, a big issue with that. (laughs) Um, Just due to the fact that if you're trying to develop players and you're trying to do that while relegation is still a thing, you have a, a struggle to do that in North America's way just because our, our solo queue ladder isn't as solid as the Korean solo queue ladder. Like every player in Korea that's on the solo queue ladder is higher typically than North American right. players. There are right. some North American right. players right. that get that. Oh. All right, so I'm oh, going to continue where you're going from there. Uh, I'm assuming you would go more in the line of – there's a lot of people that talk about how like – silver in korea is gold in na and it kind of goes up from there so it kind of marks them as being on an all-new level compared to na whenever it gets to the challenger area i'm assuming that's probably where you were going with it uh so if you were sort of yeah something right no i don't think he was (laughs) i thought you wanted to no uh, i'm pretty sure i'm actually out of time so yeah i'm pretty close to it so i think we're safe to move on to the next topic all right so getting into the next topic hopefully you guys aren't getting tired of it yet since there is so much going on with it but it's actually going to be more on overwatch and and franchising their league so i'm going to actually uh kick it off to you there metam so that you can uh, get this one started all right, so seeing as we had spoken about this for the last two episodes, it would be kind of a journalistic crime to not continue the story where we left it off. So Blizzard decided to discredit some or maybe even most of the esports news sites when it came to investigating or investing in the OWL for the $20 million. They actually went as far as to say to be careful in whose news you believe in and make sure it's a credible source. Hopefully our podcast is on the credible news list. Uh, what do you think? Is it crime? <laughs> who knows if it's credible or not we uh we'll find out based on what happens with all of these <laughs> either way that's kind of some uh I, I don't know why you would call it our own podcast for not being credible i think it's pretty credible <laughs> all right, well i mean that's kind of good this is fake news <laughs> <laughs> either way this this makes me wonder so we're hearing this um news on the franchising across several different sites from yahoo esports to the score all that are talking about this overwatch franchising so if all of these all of these what should be considered uh trusted sites are all now considered fake now what does it say is overwatch trying to hide things from us or are these are these uh sites actually misinformed Alright, so I want to go ahead and actually read the quote from Blizzard real fast, just because I feel like this is kind of important whenever it comes to it. They went ahead and said, Anyone who knows Blizzard understands how deeply we care about our communities around our games. The league is built upon the best elements of 
endemic esports programs and traditional sports and we're in active discussions with many teams and owners from both worlds because it will take a village to stand up a league with such an unprecedented structure so i i don't know there's so much in that statement because they're not wrong in saying that it's going to take whatever they and i quote take a village to stand up a league with such unprecedented structure it does take a lot of people but they're charging so much for such a questionable reward and they actually went as or went ahead and said that whenever teams decide to sell their slot they're gonna sell it and blizzard's gonna take 25 percent of that sell and it really just sounds like blizzard's being greedy i don't know what you guys think about that the the issue with this is one again we don't know if this is necessarily fact since blizzard has basically come out and said that be careful for your who you're actually listening to for news wise this is coming from espn though and and the sources that espn should have should be high enough quality to to at least give us an idea of what this is about so if they're actually supposed to forfeit 25 percent of the sale if they want to sell their slot that's a huge margin for any team like you're basically selling it for 75% of what you bought in for is, is my guess is how that kind of plays out. So Blizzard gets 25% on top of the money that you already paid them originally. That's a pretty big chunk. I can't help but wonder, realistically speaking, where is all this money going to be used? Because, okay, if you think of it as $20 million for a single franchise... And then if you sell that franchise and relocate, that's another 25%. So say you had a successful franchise, you somehow managed to sell it for 50 million. And that's now 25% of 50 million gone to Blizzard. So with all this money you're raking in, like where does it go? What are you using it for? And like, they're not giving us anything concrete or even like you know hints or easter eggs to like say this is this is what we could use it for this is kind of like the direction we're looking to go with this like if you're going to drum up the interest i think at least give people a little bit of like thought process train of you know state of mind like this is this is what we want to do this is why the costs are this big this this is what we plan because obviously, uh, just, I just want to jump in real quick and say one thing. To be fair, they did actually just open uh, an esports arena in Taiwan, so maybe that's where a lot of it's going to go to. <laughs> Blizzard. Anyway, continue. Yes. Interesting. Okay, I did not know that. All right, I actually want to mention something too. Uh, they did mention <laughs> that they're hiring someone to—I don't remember the exact title—but to change the spectating ability in Overwatch so that they have a better observer view. But uh, you can continue from there. <laughs> okay. It's it's back to you, Sam. Don't worry. It's your turn to talk now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'll I'll just kind of reiterate. I I think it would give people a lot better of an idea if you said what you're using this money for. Why are the price tags this big? Like you know, you know what I, you know what I'm saying, Madam. 
Yeah, I honestly, thank you for throwing it back to me. Uh, I honestly completely agree. It's, they're not going to pay someone to change the spectating options of Overwatch $20 million. And that's only for one team. And really, like, all that money has to be going somewhere unless it's just going straight into the investors' pockets, which I highly doubt they would do because that's kind of a uh, suicide whenever it comes to a corporation if you're not at least pretending to be using the money for good. And I don't really see Blizzard doing that, to be honest. But I just, I cannot see where they're going to be throwing all that money. Maybe they're throwing all that money into Warcraft to try to kick that back off, or World of Warcraft to try to get it back up into where it was, what was it, like 10 years ago that it was the strongest? But to this some extent... In. I'm going to cut you off this, Justin. Blizzard has announced that they will be developing a new game coming out in 2020. It's a new MOBA to compete with Heroes of the Storm, another one of their titles, and it's going to be called Underbelt. Where's that source from? Yeah, or did I, I you just make it up on the spot? That. That's <laughs> a, that was that was a joke. Overwatch, Underbelt. That yeah, that was that's an awful yeah, awful joke. I'm that, disappointed. Yeah, can we kick you off the you're, podcast for that? Honestly, I probably deserve it. <laughs> either way i'm sure they're gonna it, okay let's put it this way maybe they're gonna be using that money to open these stadiums so that the cities don't have to uh especially if they opened one in taiwan or maybe they are going to be putting all that money towards creating a new game not called underbelt because that's just terrible oh, God. <laughs> that was classic I, either way and say, I really do hope that you're right in saying that because they need to be doing something and to come out and say that they plan on franchising and just go radio silent and only argue against everybody saying what's speculating. I think that's the right word. I It's really just not looking good for them. They need to show what they're going to do with it. But for I the continue rec- from there. For the record, I believe we actually reported either in our first episode or last episode where we were talking about franchising and how it was going to work. Uh, if I remember correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong. But in the article we discussed, it was they were planning to kind of turn pre-existing stadiums and to change it into something that was compatible with esports. So this is gonna, I don't know if it was going to be like rewiring it or just kind of like changing the setup or something like that. But if I remember correctly, that's what they were planning to do. So I don't think they need to build new stadiums if that's the case. I, I, I'm going to jump in. I, I don't know how well that's going to work. I don't think necessarily, yes, it's possible for some smaller stadiums to be transitioned into an esports stadium as well. The problem is when you're taking major stadiums, you're not filling up the seats enough. Yes, esports is popular. But if you're having a local game, it's gonna be, not going to be nearly as po- popular as as like an NFL game or an NHL game. You're not going to be selling out the entire stands for it. Like if you look at something like League of Legends and their NALCS, right? You end up filling it's it's a decent size room, but it's nothing compared to a sports arena like they fill for Worlds, right? So I don't think necessarily that you're going to be wanting a massive stadium. For the for, for the the um, esports arenas to start off with, maybe in the future they can transition into that. But I just don't think 
now it would be feasible for that to happen. Fair point. All right, well, I'm going to use my last 12 seconds because I kind of made this into a joke and say that I really do hope that the Overwatch League does succeed. It's just they've really taken a wrong approach, and I'm out of time. <laughs> oh, wow. For once, I'm actually not the first person running out of time. How much time do I have left, Madam? How much time do I have to... to well, 45 seconds to tell everybody about everything. I actually don't have a whole lot more to say on it. Aside from we do, I believe there's two kind of like quote unquote confirmed teams coming in. So there's Robert Kraft who owns the New England Patriots that uh, that apparently is close to the deal on one spot. And then I believe there is one other group, but I'm not sure exactly who it is on there. But yeah, some teams like TSM have parted ways with it. I wonder if by chance if Overwatch or drops or Blizzard drops the buy-in, for franchising, if teams like TSM will come back in. For the record, the second team, if I remember correctly, I'm 99% sure I am correct. It was supposed to be Energy. Perfect. There you part, go. <laughs> partnered with the uh, the company in Washington, D.C. They were supposed to create that stadium deal. They opened the esports stadium. I think they were supposed to be the other um, pretty much confirmed franchise along with craft there we go so i don't have anything else to say well, on this topic so perfect i don't know if you have any more to add on to it Sav. i don't know how close to your time limit you are so to basically just sum this up it's very much an enigma that blizzard has created with what they're going to use this money for will they use it to open up more stadiums Will they lower the cost of beer in other stadiums? It all depends. Now the question I leave to you, our loyal viewers, is would you actually play Underbelt? Alright, well that's where we need some X-Files music there. Either way, we'll actually go into our next topic, and we're going to talk about Injustice 2 and their new championship series that's going to be starting later this month. Uh, I'm going to actually send it off to you there, Sav, to, to kick things off with this one so let me paint you a quick picture the joker the flash batman and jimmy next door all on stage looking for six hundred thousand dollars in tournament prize pool injustice entering the esports scene crown is the hype real now I'm not too sure if the hype's necessarily real behind it. I didn't get super involved in the first Injustice game, as I'm not really a big superhero fan. So, I mean, you can call me names if you want, or or I don't know what people that aren't nerds are called. <laughs> Either way, I didn't get super involved with it, but uh, this could mean... <laughs> I'm a nerd with everything but... Uh, superheroes and things like that so probably disappointing to solve to hear that either way i think this is really good for the fighting scene as we don't really have a lot of really good, like fighting circuits so far aside from like you have tournaments going on for smash you have tournaments going on for things like um for some reason i'm losing the tracks of my thought here street um fighter. <laughs> street fighter yes thank you so <laughs> There we go. See, again, I'm not a huge, huge into the fighting scene aside from Smash Bros. 
So this is one that Sahab and, and Meta might be able to provide a little bit more knowledge on. Either way, I think this is very good for just the fighting industry as a whole when it comes to esports. And it uh, should be interesting to see how this is going to kick off, seeing as it is actually happening at the end of the month. So my guess is they're probably just going to transition players that were kind of like top of the game in uh, in Injustice 1 into the, the pro scene for Injustice 2 here. All right, so to go ahead and take over, uh, you said at the end of the month, it's starting on May 26th is what they had released. And the way that they're actually looking to format it is they're running online and offline tournaments to try to find the top 16 players from around the world to put them all up against one another. I'm uh, not too big into the fighting scene. I am what everybody calls a spammer. And <laughs> I just hit the same move over and over. But uh, I think it's really nice to see a expansion on the fighting scene. I think it's actually pretty important and it will mean a lot for what actually happens with Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and even maybe even going into like the UFC games. We've also got Brawlhalla that's kind of popped up here and there. That you've been an absolute fan of lately. <laughs> I too like Madam Emma Spammer, but uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just sitting above 1100 which isn't that great, but <laughs> either way, b back on topic here with Injustice Two. Now, again, I didn't follow Injustice One very closely. I know it was a pretty popular game coming out since everybody these days is superhero fans. Now, is is it going to be running with the same characters, or are there actually updated characters as well, or is it just ending up being updated graphics? Do you guys know? I'm not I... totally familiar. I'll toss it to you in a second. Um, I assume it's the same character for same characters for the most part. Probably the same format. I don't think if you're starting a tournament this soon after the game's release that they would be changing a whole hell of a lot. Um, most of the players from the original Injustice are going to be making the swap into this one, specifically the ones who are looking to play in this uh, prize pool tournament. I, I don't think it makes sense to change a whole big deal. I don't know. Madam, what do you think? I actually would go ahead and disagree. A lot of the fighting games are pretty similar in mechanics. It's not like Street Fighter, for example. If you played Street Fighter 4, you can usually pick up Street Fighter 5. And yeah, there might be some minor changes, but if you were great at Street Fighter 4, you're going to be great at Street Fighter 5 odds are going to be at the top of the bracket. So I don't think adding new characters is really going to be that impactful on the competitive side of things. I believe I did see that they were adding some new characters, but I don't know what the characters are off the top of my head. I have a bad memory. But I really don't think it'll have that big of an effect on it. Fair enough. Now, the, the real question is, why didn't they just go ahead and actually create a fighting scene round injustice one they already have the game in place they've already have the players in, in those higher slots in in the what i assume is their ranked ladder now why didn't they just end up building the pro scene around that game was this just kind of a cash grab to release the new game get more money out of it in order to put it towards this league or was this just kind of a they wanted to update everything to make sure it was at the best point possible so so that their competitive league would 
look as good as possible, be as smoothly basically adjusted into where all the other fighting games are kind of at in the professional scene. I I would take the latter of the two. I think Injustice 1 was more of like a perusing of how it could work. Um, obviously, I can't speak for game developers or anyone kind of involved with that. I think the idea, original idea behind Injustice was just to create a game, and then slowly as they saw success, and you know, you kind of get ideas. How can we? How can we branch off? So I think Injustice Two is exactly what you said. More so, just a way to shore up um, details and mechanics for how they would want a esports title to run. And then this is going to be the version that they they stick with. See, I Fair think, enough. I think the uh, big thing there is. I don't. I've never actually played any of the Injustice games, but my guess would be it would have to do with the way that some of these rank lobbies were created. Kind of like how whenever Dota released Dota 2, they it was technically the same game. Most of the mechanics remained. It was just kind of expanding on what they already had. And with it being a mod, obviously, and moving over to being its own game. I knew Injustice wasn't actually a mod, but uh, I kind of forget where I was going off. But they... Uh, would make it a little bit easier in the tournament side of things and setting it up and seeing as they're looking to do offline, I'm sure there's a lot of touch-up issues they would have needed to cover. All right. Now, another question is, I, I'm pretty sure that there was, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, Injustice 1 was released on, I, I believe it was Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. Now, I believe that uh, Injust the Injustice 2 tournament, at least, is going to be held only with PS4. Now, does that mean this game's only getting released with PS4, or is it going to be released to PC and Xbox later? And, and if that's the case, are we going to see competitive scenes rise up out of that, or is that just going to kind of be like a, a side to the people that just liked it on PC and Xbox and just wanted to play it for fun? If memory serves, I don't think it was PC. I think it was mobile. Was it mobile? But I'm not I'm not totally sure. I think I remember seeing some people playing it on phones. But uh, regardless, uh, reading the article, just because I have it pulled up in front of me, Injustice 2 will be released on May 16th for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Perfect. So it is on so, Xbox as well. It's just it, a series. It, it is PlayStation. not exclusive. Uh, I assume it just depends on kind of where you are for the tournament, whether you're playing Xbox or PlayStation, unless you somehow able to do a mix of the two i don't know how that would work it, necessarily but. from what it looks like though the the entire tournament's just going to be playstation based it doesn't look like it's going to be xbox based see i think it really brings up a uh, big issue whenever it comes to games like that it it can't really give much of an unfair advantage to one of the two versus playstation or uh ps or can't talk uh playstation versus xbox but whatever you throw in the pc there there are some advantages to having a pc maybe not so much in fighter games but other games like rocket league so i can understand why they would want to release the league on one to start out something i want to touch on very briefly is the way they're doing it and finding all their players 
is they're doing it in three separate tournaments. So they're not doing it in China and Korea. They're actually doing it in North America, Europe, and Latin America. So kind of what they're doing is for North America, it's being held at, at game stops across. It's, uh, it's going to be held over four months. So from now until September, I believe, is what the format was. But it's going to be 16 finalists from across North America, Europe, and Latin America. Um, so North America, the pro finals are September 17th in Los Angeles. Europe has theirs, I believe it's August 2nd, is what the article read. Oh, no, that's wrong. Uh, I think it's late August. Yeah, so finals are September 17th. GameStop for North America is August 27th. And like the North American finals are in Las Vegas on the. So in Europe... you're out of time. Ooh. <laughs> Sucks to be you. I'm actually not being the first one around out of times multiple times now. This podcast. How much time do I have left, Madam? You have 40 seconds. 40 seconds. Well, I honestly don't really have anything else to say. Like as I said several times, I'm not super familiar with the fighting scene itself, aside from Smash Bros. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and, and hopefully it does actually take off for them with the first one being as popular it was as it was i can't see them having a lot of issues it's it's as long as they don't go to start f- trying to franchise immediately <laughs> but that's all i have left to say on it so madam i'll let you kind of finish things off here all right uh really the only two things i have left to say is Sob had mentioned that they're being hosted at GameStop, and really that's a pretty big deal for GameStop because if my understanding and memory serves correctly, GameStop is struggling recently with keeping up in the market and they've closed down a couple of GameStops. And I think that if this takes off, it's going to be really major for GameStop. And the other thing I wanted to mention was if you guys do want to catch the matches and tournaments it will be broadcasted on the nether realm twitch channel and on that note i will pass it off to crown to close this up all right thank you for that madam so that pretty much covers everything that we want to talk about in terms of the um injustice tournament but uh there is there is still one topic left to left to talk about and it's going to be toxicity and just overall um, professionalism in the world of esports and how it affects players as well as the organizations they play for and we'll talk about that right after the break all right so let's talk about esports uh professionalism we have esports which is growing into quite a, a popular sport at this point in time across multiple games, League of Legends, Overwatch, Dota, all those sorts of games. It's becoming very competitive, and, and there's a lot of professionalism that needs to be seen that isn't from a lot of these players, since most of them tend to be very young, starting off pretty much anywhere between like 16 and early 20s. Now, there's a lot of not only racial slurs that happen, a lot of toxicity within the game, is, is this something that players need to be punished more for? Do we think they're getting punished enough? And what kind of effects is this having on the rest of the community? 
if you want to start us off with that one, Metam, and, and let us know what uh, what your thoughts are. Well, to answer your question, I honestly, it's really hard to call to make on whether or not they're punishing them enough or not enough. It's kind of a, uh, whenever you look at real sports, there's, I'll look at the NFL, for example. Only one team has ever gone three years without an arrest. And vocal stuff is, in most cases, not this extreme as any of these physical crimes. But it's on a different, I guess, plane of existence. So what punishment fits the crime in this case? And it's really hard to judge is intentionally feeding. Obviously, that's really bad for the game. But I don't think that it should be punished with a permanent ban in most cases. And that's really the approach that most of these games are actually taking. And I think it might be too extreme. I don't know what your thoughts are, Soph. Um, I think it kind of comes down to, I guess, the severity. Because I, especially in today's society, like, racism is this really big thing. So when you have, like, racial comments or something directed at really any specific group of people, then it's it's much more severe than something if, like, you're just consistently calling people idiots. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. I think there, there's degrees to which toxicity kind of lies. I think it, it, all, it still all falls under the same spectrum, but yeah, the, the severity kind of determines punishment, in my opinion. Absolutely. Now, or, or, so so one question that I know a lot of people have is how do they keep punishment separate like like should something that happens in solo queue or or things like that and like in in games like overwatch and games like league of legends should that actually have an effect on getting banned in in pro play now i understand things like boosting and and even racial slurs and things like that however is is like you said intentional feeding yes it might be worth a permanent ban in solo queue, but should it be worth a permanent ban in competitive play as well? Or should that be separated a little bit? And yeah, you might be able to, there's so much that goes up with it, right? Because they don't really have a way to practice aside from competitive solo queue play. So if you ban them from that, they don't really have the ability to practice to play competitive fives, right? So there needs to be some way to kind of regulate what's going on in the solo queue and and what's going on in overall team play. I think it I don't think it necessarily matters between the difference between pro play and solo queue in terms of pro players. Um, just like in traditional sports, people who play at the highest level are considered role models for anyone just starting out or you know anything to that degree. So to hold players to that same kind of standard especially in solo queue games where you're interacting with the public, right? Like, you don't... If you're a pro football player, you don't interact with the public unless it's, like, a team event or, like, an interview or something like that. But when you're actually interacting with the public and people, like, watch it, if you aren't penalized for something like that, then people start to get the wrong idea. They start to think, okay, this is acceptable and no one's going to get punished for it because this is a pro player 
doing exactly what I'm doing. Why should I be punished if they're not punished? Yeah, I get where you're coming from. The It's so hard to actually pull in a comparison here. I mean, whenever you look at... I'll pull up uh, Tyler 1 and Consensual Clown, for example. They're making these lists that... Obviously, they're not actually hit lists, but in-game, they are kind of seen that way because they're intentionally losing these other people in the game. And it... can <laughs> what were you saying there, madam? I, I honestly, I completely threw up my train of thought. Um, <laughs> what uh, what uh, happened there? Uh, static. I okay, yeah, it's not showing anything on my end. What's going on? All right, well, I'm just gonna pick it up and try to talk through this. But uh, whenever you look at these, whenever you look at like Tyler One, Consensual Clown. And I believe to some extent uh, Rain Man did it, where they're getting these players and they're intentionally losing these players the game. And if you compare that to competitive play, isn't I mean, it's kind of match-fixing, but whenever it's not on the professional level, I don't know if you could justify banning these players from professional tournaments, but you're eliminating their practice. So what can they really do? Um, I don't necessarily think it even limits practice because something that Riot has been kind of open about is they don't want to IP ban people because you could be playing in a dorm room and then you have a couple other people playing and if you IP ban then all those people who weren't involved now get punished so to say it necessarily inhibits your practice I guess technically it does because you're losing an account that is already up there and you just have to go through the steps again but I, I don't necessarily think it inhibits you from being able to practice fair enough now looking at the players that you were talking about metam these are players that aren't necessarily in professional teams they're just high solo queue ladder players so yes banning them might be a smart plan because these aren't players that are professional now who knows conceptual clown might have been planning to play professionally for one of these teams but after hearing what he's doing it probably doesn't interest those teams to actually be taking them on to their rosters now if you're noticing a lot of toxicity with these high level players is that going to affect actually the ability to pull in a lot of high level players into competitive play it absolutely does i for i can't remember off the top of my head who it was that said it, but it was someone who was already playing in LCS. And one of the questions they were asked in an interview was, why do we not see um, kind of NA solo queue being pulled in? And I guess this kind of ties into the point where we were having when we were discussing MSI about homegrown talent. But because a lot of these high solo queue players, when they come in, they're dealing with LCS pros all the time. So LCS pros get to see how you interact in a team. Granted, it's not a professional team environment, but if, if you're toxic all the time, like, like no one wants to play with you. There, there are some exceptions where your raw mechanical skill is just so high that people will kind of buckle down and, you know, just deal with it. But in most cases, no one wants to play alongside that. Absolutely. Especially if we look at... Overwatch, there's actually a recent ban 
on uh, on a player that was playing for Toronto's Overwatch team, um, who just he he was playing, yeah, and he ended his career very quickly by yelling a racial slur over and over and over again while actually streaming live. So obviously teams or organizations don't want anything to do with people that um, that are discriminating against certain races, certain genders, any sort of thing like that. And, and it's good to know that at least the organizations are taking it professionally, but what steps need to be taken in order to get these players to actually be handling solo queue and, and what they're tweeting, what they're streaming in a more professional manner? See, I don't really know that there's any way to actually ensure that. If you, I believe we talked about it in week one with players, they, I'm trying to think of how to say this, in other sports, kids are raised playing these games and they're forced into this team environment and you're going to get kicked off these teams in elementary school if you do something serious. So it's driven into your brain that you can't do most of these things. Whereas players are starting out on, per se, Overwatch or Dota, whatever, you're probably 14, 15. Obviously, some kids start out earlier. But uh, they're not really being forced into playing properly and with proper mentality. So it limits the growth of that player to an extent of where I don't know that they really can force a player to not be toxic until they start growing up with that. It puts boards, especially, I think, in a very back-against-the-wall kind of position because, obviously, like, if something happens like that where, you know, there's massive racial slurs being thrown out and it's the talk of the town, you're kind of forced into this PR situation where you can't exactly keep this player around because it looks bad and you don't want that associated with your name. But especially if it's like a star player or something and you have to drop them, I, I can only imagine the kind of hit that that takes both on the other players in your org as well as your brand as a whole. And you were out of time, so. Ooh, good timing there. <laughs> so, yeah, trying to limit the the um i guess toxicity of of players is something that's very difficult to do and it is something that needs to be kind of ingrained into them from a very young age i guess would be the kind of the key points so these are players not necessarily in a lot of regular sports right because most people that are playing video games competitively are dedicating most of their time to that so and you it, are out of time ah. <laughs> I can't really extend past that. I don't have the time to actually continue what I'm saying. Or, well, continue what you were saying. So, on that note, uh, pass back to Crown to close this out. All right. So, yeah, unfortunately, you guys miss, uh, missed my last point. But uh, either way, thanks for, for tuning in to our Esports Power Hour. This kind of brings us to the end of it. Once again, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. I've again been your host, Crown Tempest, alongside Metam and Sovereign. Uh, feel free to send us any questions to our email at roundtableesports at gmail.com. And also feel free to check out our media links below. Have a great day and uh, happy gaming. <laughs>